<laughs> cool. It's wonderful to be here. I was saying to the, in the last service that I, um, I thought if we sing a fifth song, I'm not going to have the strength to actually stand up here. We had, yesterday was my daughter's birthday and she turned seven and we went to Wet and Wild at Ushaka with 16 six-year-olds. <laughs> it's not a good idea. So if your kid's that age, don't do it. <laughs> But anyway, I, I literally nearly lost my voice from screaming on the slides. You obviously had to do every slide, which was really fun. We're definitely going to book a parent day at Oshaka now <laughs> with our children, but also just screaming at children, trying to make sure you haven't lost six of your group. So totally chaotic. Um, but what's wonderful about these things is that it often happens like this, that you're asked to preach in a week when you don't have the strength to preach. Um, and then in return, God shows up because you don't have your sort of best to bring. Um, and the first service was lovely, so I'm excited to be up here. Um, now I just have to remember what we're actually doing here. So give me a moment, I'm just going to open up. Cool. Can we get the first, my first slide up there, please? I've actually got slides today. Um, cool. So I want to tell you a story about these beautiful birds. So um, anyone here familiar with Cape St. Francis? Cool. So we um, were in St. Francis now in, in sort of early Jan, um, and we went on the fancy side, the canals. This is like the beach side where it's like hardcore beach people. And it's just the most beautiful spot. If you don't know it, it's in the Eastern Cape, and it's literally a little, tiny little beach town. And the surfers are in the water till like half past seven at night, and you watch the sunset over the sea. It's just beautiful. And something strange has happened there in the past couple of years. And if you've been there recently, you might have noticed, um, but maybe don't know the backstory. So there was apparently, and I, this is you can Google it and find the story, um, but there was a couple, an old couple that lived in, in St. Francis, and they had an aviary of what are called lovebirds, which is these. So they're sort of a combination, they say of more, they're more parrots than budgies, but they're more like a budgie size. So they had this aviary of these birds, and I think the husband died, but I might get it wrong. It might have been the wife. Anyway, the partner got chutful. Now I'm teasing. They just decided that they were going to open up the aviary and just set these things free. And so they let them out into the wild, obviously not knowing what would happen. And these lovebirds actually discovered that they loved St. Francis. <laughs> and so they multiplied. <laughs> and now, wherever you go, you see these things like in the street, like in literally flocks of these beautiful birds that just don't seem to belong. And you can see in one of the pictures there, that bottom picture, you see like an ordinary bird, and you can imagine what it looks like when this other bird is sitting next to it. Um, and it's just beautiful. And the first time I saw one, I was in town, and it's a tiny little town, and this bird flew past, and I like sort of turned to look what this was, and thought, gosh, someone's birds escaped. And then saw it landed on a roof next to 20 of them, just all sitting there on this roof. And it is so, it's literally like a breath of fresh air. It's just crazy what it does. It's just this like, oh my word, that's not supposed to be there, but it is, and gosh, that's beautiful. I want you to pause on that, or I want to pause, and I want you to sort of freeze that memory because I'm going to bring up these birds a bit later. But if you're joining us for the first time today or first time in a couple of weeks, we're in the middle of a series called 111 Hours. And what that is, is that we, the 111 hours, is that in a normal week, you have, I'm not going to tell you the number because I can't remember what it is, but you have an amount of hours. And if you minus the eight hours sleep that you get a night, we're just dreaming here, <laughs> the eight hours sleep, and if we minus the hour that you spend here at church, you've got 111 hours left in your week to sort of make it count. 
Um, and so that's what the series has been, is what, what do we do sort of with those 111 hours? And this morning, I am speaking on, or I've been asked to speak on, co-laboring with Christ to build his kingdom. Co-laboring with Christ to build his kingdom. Um, and I know when I, when I first was given this and asked to speak sort of on evangelism, I was just saying in the last service that I, I have a friend who was here in this previous service, and she was regretted having put up her hand as to who she was. But I said, when I said to her that I was speaking on this t- today, she went, I said, on like sort of reaching the last, she said, ooh, Kit, ooh. She like got shivers on her arms, and I said, I know. <laughs> so I only wrote it on about Thursday. But, but here we are speaking on this, and, and if you feel like your arm hairs also sort of pop up when you hear that, then you're in the right place today because my heart is that by the end of this that we'll be able to leave here and all feel like gosh God okay okay I get it I'm called to to this evangelism picture not just Paul Reardon and I said that in the last service too (laughs) except now it's easier when he's sitting here um cool can we put up that next slide so this is anyone here a news reader does anyone read the news regularly not many in this service. There were lots in the last. Um, I'm definitely not a newsreader, um, but I did go on this week. So this was News 24, and I just screenshots what came up. So this was local news. So it says load shedding crisis, um, enjoy a cocktail, child sex ring trial, um, someone de- being deployed, uh, deadline of a decade based on shortcomings, and then at the bottom there it says electricity tariff hike. And then this was the world news. Next slide, please. So it says, Putin evokes, and this would have helped if I did read the news, Stalingrad, Stalingrad, we're going to go with either, we can't pronounce it anyway because it's not from here, Um, to predict victory over new Nazism in Ukraine. Then it says, the protests in Peru, Um, further down it says, North Korea labels US and South... South Korea drills as an extreme red line, and right at the bottom, it says, my pain is your your pain, says Pope Francis, after hearing stories of violence in Congo. Guys, we don't even have to look, though, I know, at world news, or even closer to home, South African news, or Hillcrest, Kloof news, to know that the world is living in crisis. And that we're all trying to cling to whatever we believe like the next best thing is, But mostly, everyone is just searching or trying to cling to hope. We're searching and we're looking and the trains are flying up and down all over the place and there's a new thing that's in sort of every week because we're looking so desperately for hope. I want to tell you about a place um, that existed a while ago. Can you jump two slides later, Dion? Yeah, oh, there we go. Cool, so this place, oh no, now Matt's not in the service. This could be problematic. Do you know how to say it, Nicole? Colosseum. You see, you know, they can't pronounce it either because I pronounced it wrong to Matt in a voice note this week and he corrected me. <laughs> so this place, Colosseum, in the middle there, okay, in the blue, this is the place where the book of Colossians is written to. So I'm going to give you some background on what was going on in Colosseum and why Paul felt it necessary to write this book to them, the book of Colossians, and then we're going to sit in the book of Colossians today. So Colosseum is there, and now it's sort of mainland Turkey, okay, so that's where we are. And to the left of this, left, 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 um, you get Rome or Italy, and Rome and Italy, and that's where Paul is currently, so at the time of this. So this was between, the book is written between AD 60 to 62, so somewhere around there. And Paul's in prison, it's his first imprisonment, and he's in Rome, and he's writing this letter to them in Colosseum. 
we're just going to go with that. So he's, written, he's writing to them, but guys, he's never been there. Okay, so he doesn't know these people. He didn't plant this church. The, the church was supposedly planted by someone else, um, and he's heard news. Now, this is what's going on there. Now we're going generations ago, decades, decades, decades ago. In Colossia, at this time, in this specific era, Colossia was in disarray because there was so much going on culturally. So there was all this pressure to sort of live up to like what the next best thing was. And so they had all these groupings of people, not like in the Old Testament where it was like we were all worshiping a gold statue. This was more like what was cool. And so people were just trying to find what was like the latest cool thing to do. And there were these groupings of people. Paul was told about this and asked to write this letter to them to encourage the believers, which was a very small group of people, to encourage them to not give in to cultural pressures. Okay, and I'm sure for many of us, this resonates in so many ways. The pressure is high to be anything else or to live up to other expectations. But Paul writes this letter, and we can go on to this this next scripture, the first scripture, yeah, thank you. And this is so beautiful. So this is what Paul writes. So Paul starts where he writes the first three books of Colossians. He writes just about Jesus. This is what he chooses to write to the people who are living in disarray and are like desperate to give in to something. He says, I'm gonna tell them about Jesus. And this is the scripture. So I've written two different translations. We're gonna work more with the NLT, but this is what it says. He says, this is the secret. Christ lives in you. And then he goes on to say, this gives you assurance of sharing his glory. But I want to pause at the beginning there. It says, this is the secret. Christ lives in you. Now, if you think, guys, he could have said anything was the secret. I mean, he could have said to them, like, you're a small group. This is the secret. Stay in the church. <laughs> Don't be going out there. Don't give in to the temptations. He could have said, start forming more churches but he didn't say any of that. He didn't say, don't worry, just be encouraged. Jesus is in heaven. You'll be there one day. He didn't say that either. He chose to say, this is the secret. Christ lives in you. And you, and you. Christ lives in you. And then in another translation, the NIV, which I know is a well-known one, it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Christ in you is the hope. And it's in you. The world is searching for hope. And God chooses to tell Paul, to tell the people who are living in a very similar time and place to what we are, that there is a hope. And not that it's just up there, that it's in you. That that hope is in you. We're going to pause for a second and I want to ask you to close your eyes with me, please. And with your eyes closed, I want you to think back to when you gave your life to Jesus. And if you haven't yet, we would love to chat with you later. But if you have, try and think back to, to what was going on when you gave your life to God. And more specifically, I want you to think of the people who were involved in your life at that time. Perhaps it was one person that led you to Jesus, or maybe it was like you can't even think of one person. It was like so many different people in different ways that built up to that moment. I know for some it will be family, maybe school, perhaps even a stranger. You can open your eyes.
I do this because I think when we're told that we're supposed to be sort of reaching the last, um, we all sort of think, no, 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 you don't get it. Like, I'm not, I wasn't called to be an evangelist. That was for Paul Reardon. We, no, I'm just called to, be, to spend time with children or the poor or, or whatever that is. And yet, yet, guys, we wouldn't be here today if at some point someone hadn't told us that secret, that Christ could live in us. And there's a good chance it wasn't just someone. There's a good chance it was actually like a few people. Or the picture just sort of all started to fit together. And Jesus wants to use us too in other people's stories. But there's a beautiful way that he intends for this to be. And oftentimes, I think we've been mistaken in how we believe that we were called to sort of go out there. And, and because of that, we're terrified. But actually, he, he gives such a different instruction. I want to read one sentence before I go into what we're going to sit in, the a book in Coloss uh, Colossians 2. So I wrote this down this morning, um, but I want to read it word for word. It says, you have, you, you have what the world needs and longs for, but they won't know unless you step out of your cage or out of your Avery. I want to read it again. You have what the world needs and longs for, but they won't know unless you step out of your cave. Cage, don't stick out, step out of your cave. Cage or Avery. And I just had such a beautiful picture of these lovebirds when we were in St. Francis. Um, Nat pre prepared this sermon series last year already. That's how I hid they work. And so I already knew what I'd be preaching on. And I said to my husband when we saw these birds that I was definitely going to pull that picture in. And it just fitted so beautifully because I think sometimes we sort of think this is the safe place. Like churches, like where we're supposed to come and like share faith and talk about God and do all these things. But Christ lives in us. And we don't realize that there's this beautiful hope that's been placed inside of you that when, if, when you go out into the world, if you're able to live from that space, and I promise I'm not just sending you, we're going to talk about this, but if we could live from that place, that the world will see colors that they've never seen before and that otherwise they would never have seen. Much like when you see this bird in the street and you sort of like, I don't know if this is right, like this is, this is strange, and, and beautiful. It's in you too. Let's go to Colossians 2. Thanks, Dion. Okay, I'm going to read right through and then we're going to sort of pull out two big ideas. So Colossians 4, verse 2 to 6. Um, this is the NLT version. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Now, I know I've read the scripture about 20 times in the past couple weeks, but if, you, if, you, if, or if I at least was reading this for the first time, I know what would have stood out for me. So it would have been like, nearing the end, and I would have thought that what I was asking was live wisely among people who aren't believers, and then the last thing where it says make sure that your conversation is attractive and that you've got the right response. And to me, all that feels like is a hell of a lot of pressure. 
When I read that, I'm like, oh my gosh, well, I definitely should be the one that was left in the church and not set out to fly because it feels like a lot. And I know when I was new in my faith, I felt this huge pressure to do things right. It's almost like there was this expectation that like Christians shouldn't do that or Christians shouldn't. And actually, we've got it all wrong because Paul doesn't start with that. He ends with that. He starts with something totally different. He says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. I don't know about you, but when I, when I look at that word devote, I know in my life, and I was saying in the last sermon, um, I know my husband was really trusting that I'd mention his name here. <laughs> but but I, if I'm really honest, I'm mostly devoted in my life right now to my children and probably my cell phone. Like fully devoted, that is what I literally feel like I'm focusing on 90% of the day, are those two things. But Paul's saying here that we should be devoted to prayer. Devoted is to be like committed to it. We should be devoted to prayer, and he doesn't just say that, he says with an alert mind. So I'm not sure about you, but when I do my bedtime prayers, it's not normally my mind isn't terribly alert. He says with an alert mind. And he adds in with a thankful heart. And so it's not those prayers that we pray when we're driving to pick up and we're sort of throwing up the Lord, just sort this out or please deal with that. Or do. It's not the like hurried, you know, panicked prayer. He says with a thankful heart. And for me, that like devoted prayer, alert mind and thankful heart probably only fits between 5 and 6 a.m. <laughs> but I know not everyone's in our season of life. And so it's different for everyone. But firstly, guys, God is calling us to pray. And when we pray, something beautiful happens. Because as we pray, we are filled with more of him. And we're reminded of the hope that is inside of us. And as we're reminded of that hope, it starts to sort of like well, well up until it starts to overflow. And then suddenly our conversations aren't always just about our children because that's what we were devoted to. But the God word sort of creeps in there too because we've been devoted to prayer. And God calls us to take this one step further as well. And I said in the first service, gosh, I feel like I'm the last person that should preach this message because this is for me a million times over. But I don't know how many of you, like me, have, have sort of forgotten to pray for, for loved ones and friends who don't know God. And I say forgotten because we, we may be used to. And it's easier now to pray for like someone in your cell group or the person in the street would even be easier than like my dad or whatever it is for you. And having grown up in a family that wasn't Christians, me personally, um, I know how easy it is to forget that. And yet this is the first thing that Paul calls us to. Before you live out your faith, before you start setting an example, he says, go back to prayer. And so we want, as a body, to start committing to this again, to say, like, what, what would happen if we became a church that said, okay, okay, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to make time for prayer. I'm going to prioritize prayer. I can guarantee that we would see many new faces sitting in these chairs, but not just that, because prayer will draw us closer to Jesus, which in turn will start to go over into that next section. And so I'm going to miss out the, that middle part, but then it says, live wisely and make the most of every opportunity. 
It is so much easier to make the most of every opportunity when it's coming from a place deep within you and it doesn't feel like effort. When it feels like it really, truly is overflow. And we know, guys, God says that you were made in his image, which means that he's put things inside of you that he hasn't put inside the person next to you. And yet you all find yourselves here, which means that you probably find yourselves living in the same community, overlapping with the same people, and yet he chose for both of you to be here. Because he knows. He knows the paths that you cross. He knows the people that you work with. And what's beautiful about Jesus is that he's out there already. He's at work already. But he calls us to be part of that picture, to become one of those people that become part of their God story. I want to tell you a story that in the first service was much easier to tell because it was someone who's here now, and I, um, so I could exaggerate a bit if I needed to. Now I've got to make sure I get the facts right, <laughs> and they don't know. Um, so a very close friend of mine was um, last year went through a thing that landed her up having to have an operation. And it was a gynecological operation, and she was going in to, there, there were going to be two options. Either he'd check and he'd think, oh, we can remove it, or it would come out and it would be like we've, it's gone in for a biopsy to see if it's cancer. And that whole week leading up to this op, she, she drives during the day, all day, most of the day, that's, that's the field that she's in, and she listens to podcasts. And that whole week, everything kept coming back, all the like things she listened to, cancer would sneak in there. Somewhere along the line, cancer would come back in. And she, the whole week, she kept listening and learning all these beautiful new things, but at the same time, kept thinking, gosh, God, okay, I think you may be, you know, preparing me for something here. She then goes in, and she goes in for her op, and um, the doctor who's doing the op is the very one who found the, you know, whatever he found, and he said, we've got to go straight in. It's not even like an option. So she goes in, and she's supposed to be the first surgery of the day. Now, she's in the medical field, so she knows them. It's not even like she was just, like, hoping for the best. They'd said she's the first one, slate, whatever it's called, um, and, you know, she'll go in. She ends up being in a room with one other woman, so her and another woman. And it ends up that she happens to be the last operation of the day. Now, I don't know if anyone has been for an up, but that not eating thing, you're going to see it on Wednesday when you fast with us, but it's, <laughs> it's not fun when you haven't eaten the whole day and you're waiting. And if you've been told you're going in first and now you're waiting the whole day. But the lady who's in the bed next to her has just been told from what she can hear, and yeah, I might get the facts slightly wrong, but she's going to forgive me later, but... She's just been told, or what it sounds like, is that she's got cancer. And she is trying to process this, and it's new, and it's hard, and she's emotional, and she's asking questions, and, she, and my friend can tell that she's not even asking the right questions, and yet she's sitting there with this like well of knowledge of what she's been fed for the past week leading up to her op. And mostly she's thinking, like, well, here we are, the two like cancer patients. And she starts giving her some of this information and going like, oh, well, do you know what, I, this is amazing what I actually learned this week and starts sort of commenting. Eventually she goes in for her up and she comes out and her doctor comes into recovery, which is abnormal to talk to you there about your up, but does, he probably needed to go home because now it's like 6 p.m. And he says to her, you won't believe it, I went in and I found nothing. I mean, it's just so odd because we saw it. I mean, you saw it, but there's just, there's absolutely nothing there. So I don't know what what happened? But I mean, well, it's good news. There was just no reason for us to do it. You know, almost like, I'm sorry you had the operation. 
And she goes out back to her room and says to the girl next to her, like, do you mind if I take your cell phone number and we could be in touch? And the lady's so grateful. And then off she leaves, having not needed actually to have gone for this operation after all. And she's sitting over here, and now I get all emotional. And God used her in such a beautiful way that day. But you know what? She didn't know that that was what's going to happen. But she just managed to make the most of every opportunity. And it wasn't that the lady was like saved then, then and there, and now she's this big evangelist. She's the opposite. She's like shy and quiet. And, but God uses us. And he wants us to be part of someone else's God story. I want to tell you one more story, and I've done this again now. You see, I haven't kept track of time. I don't even know where my phone is. Last service, I didn't even look. I think we're good. Um, but one more story, and I did tell it um, in one of the services, so if you did happen to be there that day, you might have heard it. Um, but end of last year, I was driving, taking my son to school, so normal every morning thing. He was still at preschool, so you can get there between basically seven and eight. So every day was different. I honestly cannot say that we ever left home at the same time. It just depended how the morning went and if we felt like going for a walk or whatever happened. So that day, it just so happened that we left home at, at Hopper 7. So we're driving along Hilltop Road, which is pretty much like a big main sort of road in Hillcrest, if you don't know it. And I happened to notice the car in front of me. Now, I am not a car person and that's not common for me to notice, but I did notice it. And I, anyway, I'm driving behind it and we're driving along on Hilltop Road, and suddenly, as we go around literally the sharpest corner in Hilltop Road, like, it's like this, you can't see what's coming or anything. The car in front of me, instead of like turning with the corner, she just went kind of like straight into the oncoming lane. And I, my first thought was, oh, she's on her phone. You know, and she's gonna just swerve back because I've done that before. But she didn't, she just kept going. And she went straight over that road, didn't hit any cars. I mean, it's like, it's so busy at half past seven in the morning. She went straight over. She hit the fence below that. She sort of went over like a little thing. I don't know. It was sort of that high. Down, hit the fence, bumped around, and then came flying back up and landed back in the road without hitting another car in the oncoming traffic. And it all happened, obviously, so fast. Her car was written off. So without having like rolled or anything, it was that badly damaged. I was the first car there. I mean, we all like slammed on brakes and it was whatever. But I swerved off the side of the road on the opposite side and ran across the road. Opened, tried to open her door. I couldn't. Everything was sort of bashed in, whatever. I didn't know who was obviously going to be inside. And so she well, like, um, pushed down her window. And all she said is, my baby, my baby. And I was like, what, what, you know? And gosh, in the first service, I got all tearful again. And I haven't told the story in so long. But I ran around the car. I said, where is it? She's like pointed. I ran around and opened the door. And I literally, like, they were just fumes. I can't even explain what it felt like. But apparently, airbags do that. I don't know if there are any car people here. But apparently, it's a thing. Um, but I didn't know that. But it was just hectic, like when something just like comes almost at you and smoke and whatever. And there's this tiny little three-month-old facing the back, so, you know, in the backwards facing car seat, fast asleep. I literally unbuckled him. Being a mom, I knew this troll. I know exactly how to undo the car seat. The fact that I happened to be the one, you know, that's the first one there, took out the car seat, took it around, and then there was a man at her window now, and I just shouted, tell her her baby's fine, he's fast asleep. 
I put him on the floor. I had left my own child <laughs> across the road in my car, as only I can do. So he'd now made his way through the traffic and had come to sit with me. I know it's so typical. My husband doesn't find it funny at all. <laughs> but I sat with her for like nearly an hour on the side of the road. And by then, loads of people had stopped. And it was, it was like, yeah, it was a lovely sort of seeing your community come in. But what was so powerful for me was that at some point, and I don't even know how I asked it because I, I can't imagine trying to like ask something like this and offend someone because I would try always never to do that. But somehow I asked, or I don't know what happened. And she said, I fell asleep. And, and the, worst, the worst of it is, or the best of it is, is that of all people, I absolutely got it. I'd had my two kids a year apart, and I knew that feeling literally like it was yesterday. I'd had so many days where I'd been lecturing in Durban and drive home, phoning my husband saying, you've got to keep me awake, babe, you've got to keep me awake. And God chose that I would be the one to stop, and I didn't get her name, and she didn't get my name, so it wasn't this like glory Caitlin moment at all. It was actually the opposite. It was that God knew that someone needed available to be available for this woman to know that it was okay and to know that she was still loved and that there would be no shame. And it just so happened that I, in that moment, all I could keep saying, I think in my shock as well, is that, gosh, God has to have such a plan for you and for this little boy. I just, over and over again, I just, I think because I'd watched it, I just kept saying that, and I don't know, at what, we didn't have this big salvation moment, and I don't know where she is in her faith or if she has one, but I do know that that will be part of her God story. And guys, God wants you to be used in other people's God stories too. He wants to use you, and he wants to use what he's put inside of you and no, it's not necessarily walking out here and trying to find you know, someone in the car park like Paul would. <laughs> But it's not that. He wants to use the people that are in your path, and he wants to use what he's put in you, and so it might take a bit of courage, but perhaps it's not as much courage as you're thinking. It might just actually be being you. But first, he's calling us to pray. First, he's calling us to devote ourselves to prayer and to be changed in that time and to be, to be filled in that time and to be reconvicted or whatever that we needing in that time to be able to overflow and to be able to, to love in the way he's called us to and to be the hope givers that he's called us to be. And so this um, Wednesday, what we're doing is, Nicole mentioned it now, so we're going to do a day of prayer and fasting. And we want to ask that everyone tries to think of like, I'm, I'm just giving a random number, it could be one person to five people who you know, perhaps love, who don't know Jesus. And your fast is going to be for them to come to know God. And if you're not super familiar with fasting, the idea is, it, I mean, it could be that you fast anything. It doesn't have to be food. And I know some careers don't allow for it. Like maybe you have to taste wimpy burgers for a living. <laughs> that would be nice. But whatever it is, you know if you can fast um, food. But the idea with fasting is simply that the hungrier you get, the more you're probably going to pray. And the more that you pray, the more breakthrough we do see. And so in turn, it, it makes us hungrier for God, and we, we pray more into those things. And we often hear from God more clearly on those days that we fast. 
And so we want to encourage you to do that and to name your people, not out loud. I mean, you can do that, but just to know who you're fasting for. And then in the evening, we're going to meet here. And um, the WhatsApp will go, up, will go out anyway tomorrow, I think, or whatever day they go out, Tuesday, um, with the details. Is it half past five to meet here? Meeting here at half past five. So ideally, break your fast at home because you're not going to do it here, so then you're going to be hungry for another hour. Um, but break your fast and then come here and then we will have corporate sort of combined prayer together. But let's get back on track with this stuff. I know, gosh, I felt just preparing this word so convicted to do this better now and to start praying for my brothers and my dad again. And gosh, I adore them, but it is so hard to trust for people when it's that close. So hard. So 100%, I will be doing this with you. And then the last thing I want to say, sort of in wrapping up, Dion, can you put up that last slide? Is we're going to go back to the lovebirds. And yeah, my, my prayer, I suppose, is that we will remember these lovebirds this week and that we'll remember that, that God didn't call us to come to church every week and for that to be our faith. That, that actually he's left the Avery doors open. And that he hasn't said he's sitting up there in heaven, but he also hasn't said that he's like trying to force you to do something. He said what he said here in Colossians 1, that hope is in you, that Christ is in you. And now you get to go. And those every doors are open. And I promise you are bright like those little budgies. And you might not see it, but it's not, it's not you. It's Jesus in you because the world is seeking hope. And you've got it. You've got what they want. You've got this eternal hope that they are longing for. And you've been given the sort of mandate, the privilege of going out there and showing that. And remember that he made you. So he's not like pointing fingers going like, I just wish you were a bit more articulate. He's not. <laughs> he made you the way he made you intentionally. And he knows that you can bring people to faith by just being you and loving and doing whatever it is that he's called, to you, called you to do in your circles. Cool, will you stand with me? I'm gonna close in prayer.